Well, hello. Oh, hello. How are you? Good to see you. If you're on our stream this morning, we want to welcome you as well. We're so glad you're here. And we're going to be in Isaiah chapter 9 today. Isaiah chapter 9. So if you flip over there, that would be great. We're in Isaiah chapter 9, but we're actually in a series in Matthew 3 and 4. And the reason that we're in uh, Isaiah chapter 9 today is as we were reading through Matthew 3 and 4, we recognize that there was, it was just kind of chock full of Old Testament quotes, chock full of Old Testament references. And as we did, dug a little deeper, we realized and, and found that it's actually the most kind of Old Testament saturated piece of gospel literature we have. That those, those early parts of Matthew is just absolutely chock full. Matthew wants to do something with those chapters. And so we thought it would be a good idea to actually go back and forth between the New Testament uh, passage, the Matthew uh, passage that we're going to look at, and the Old Testament uh, reference that he's uh, alluding to each time, or even directly quoting uh, each time. So you should see every uh, two sermons as sort of a couplet of the Old Testament background that then gets us ready for the New Testament Matthew passage that we're going to look at. So today we're looking at Isaiah chapter 9 that will get us ready for Matthew chapter 4, verses 12 through 17 next week. So it's kind of a, a, a a combined effort here. And so we'll be looking at that to get us ready for Matthew 4, uh, 12 through 17. So if you would, would you stand with me as we read our passage this morning? And in fact, we're not going to start in chapter 9 of Isaiah. We're actually going to look at a few verses prior to it in chapter 8, just to get the context as we go through chapter 9. So we'll actually be in Isaiah 8, verse 20, and then through to chapter 9, verse 7. If you would, uh, let's start with uh, the prayer of Shema, which is a prayer that refocuses us, that helps us just get with everything going on in the world, helps us kind of refocus on the word and just invites God to speak to us through the text. It comes out of Deuteronomy 6. Say it after me. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might, and love your neighbor as yourself. Amen. This is Isaiah, uh, uh, starting in chapter 8, verses 20. Verse 20. It says this, If anyone does not speak according to this word, they have no light of dawn. Distressed and hungry, they will roam through the land. Then, when they are famished, they will become enraged, and looking upward will curse their king and their god. Then they will look toward the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom. And they will be thrust into utter darkness. And then into chapter 9, it says this, But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Natali. But in later times, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nations. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, and, as are, and they are glad when they are divided the spoils. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian's defeat." For every brute, every boot of the trampling warrior and battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. Now this part, try not to sing. For to us a child is born and to us a son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulder 
And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it. With justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. So when I was a kid, uh, my father pastored a church in a small town called Woolcott in central New York, about two and a half, maybe three hours from here in central New York, Woolcott, New York. It was a small sort of dying church, and then our family came, we moved there, and he began a revitalization work in that community. Here's a picture of, of my, uh, my dad in, at that sanctuary. There he is, good old Pastor Jeff. Uh, he's actually preached here once before, so you've seen him before. Good old Pastor Jeff. I'm that little kid in the corner there holding something up. I have no idea what I'm doing, but I have a five-year-old son, so I'm sure it is nothing good. Whatever it is I was doing, I'm sure it was not anything good. But this is us, and we spent uh, really the better part of my childhood in this church and in this sanctuary. Here's the sanctuary. If you turn around, here's this, uh, what the, the look of that space was. Uh, and this uh, held, this sanctuary held a lot of special memories for me. We had a lot of uh, uh, VBSs and a lot of uh, 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 Sunday mornings, a lot of Christmas Eve services, a lot of Easter mornings. Even as a kid, I had some very significant moments in my relationship with Jesus. Uh, the Lord spoke to me in some pretty amazing ways as a kid in that room. There's something special to me about that space. And for some of you, you have a space. Right? What is your space? That space that just means so much to you. For some of you, it might be this room where God has done amazing things, where this sanctuary has just been a place of light. And if it's not here, it's somewhere else, somewhere where you had a wedding or you celebrated the life of someone who had passed. Maybe you grew up in a place or God just spoke to you in a really profound way, and so that space will never be the same again. We all have those places in life that just hold a certain kind of light. And this sanctuary in Wolcott, New York, was it for me. Now, we mentioned a few weeks ago, Isaiah was a prophet of God's people. And it was a people that had a special calling to be a place like this, to be a sanctuary to the world, to be a light to the nations. They were be the, to be the ones that held the special places that they could point other people to and say, see, look, look at what's going on there. There's, some, there's a light there. There's a sanctuary right there. Isaiah even talks about in, in, in uh, chapter 42, he says this, I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and make you to be a covenant for the people and a light to the nations. This was their special calling to be a light to the nations. And this first part of the book of Isaiah that we read today, this is uh, in the reign of King Ahaz in Judah. And King, so Isaiah is sort of addressing and, and, and talking with Ahaz. Now Ahaz was not walking in the ways of God. He is not leading the people to be a light to the nations. He's not leading them into their identity. And being a prophet and all, Isaiah could see what was coming. He knew that because of, because of this, eventually all of Israel would be conquered and exiled. And so what Isaiah is doing here is he's starting to paint pictures of what it's going to look like when that happens, when they lose their light, when they've stopped being uh, living into the identity of what they're called to be, to be a light, a sanctuary to the nations. 
So he begins painting these pictures. What, what is it going to look like when you're exiled, when you're conquered, when you're taken away? And so one of them we just read is this. He, he says this in Isaiah 8, chapter, uh, verse 22. He says, If anyone does not speak according to this word, they have no light of dawn. And then moving ahead, they will look toward the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom. And they will be thrust into utter darkness. And so he describes this destruction, this conquering, this exile as darkness. Now, in the Bible, darkness is connected to the idea of absence and emptiness. In fact, in the very first verses of the entire Bible, we read about a world that is covered in darkness. It says, Now the earth was formless and empty, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. So the Hebrew people, they read that, they go, okay, so there's this formlessness and this emptiness. There's this chaos going around, and it was sort of described as this darkness. So they took this idea, and they began to think of darkness in this way. Darkness is, and we actually even use this ourselves nowadays. We'll say things like, oh, that was really dark, or things like that. It's sort of empty and, and, and like void of meaning. It's just kind of eerie. It doesn't, it doesn't sit well with you. But then you keep reading in Genesis, uh, in Genesis 1, and it says, let there be light. God saw the darkness, and he said, let there be light. And there was light, and God saw that the light was good, and so he separated the light from the darkness. And so they read that, and they go, okay, and so we have this God, this good God, who saw the chaos, who saw the formlessness, who saw the emptiness, and brought light to the darkness, separated that. And so we live a God, we, we, we serve a God who's a God of light. And so we become then a people who is a people of light to the nations, to help them in their emptiness and their formlessness and their voidness and their absence in order to see the light. And of course, they weren't doing that. They weren't living into that which they were doing. When there is darkness, God brings meaning and purpose and fulfillment and substance and light. And we see this thing throughout the, old, uh, throughout the Old and New Testament, this idea of darkness versus the light. Now, that old church I grew up in, right? So that old church I grew up in, a, a years later, when my family came, uh, my, my family, we had left the, that place already, but years later, we decided we'd go back to the trip. Have you ever done one of these where you drive back to a place you used to live or you used to be? And we did a little bit of a reminiscing trip. We went to our old school, and we went to the place where we lived, the, the ice cream shop we always would stop at as kids. And then we decided, let's go back and see the old church, the, the sanctuary that held such special place and memories in our family's life. And when we got there, we realized, little did we know, that the church had moved and had sold it to a nightclub. A night— So we, we walk in, we're like— this is a little different. This is not what we remember it being. Where the pews once laid, there was a dance floor. And where the pulpit once sat was a DJ platform. And where the altar stood literally was a bar. Right where the altar used to be. Now, God is everywhere. I want to I remind us of that. God is everywhere. He's not contained in man-made buildings. He has torn the veil between the sacred and the secular, but there's something special about a place. There's something special about a place. And when we walked in there, we just had this empty feeling in our gut. 
you walk through and you remember the places and the ways that God moved, the ways that God spoke to us so powerfully and to see what it had become, we didn't have the words to describe it. We just kind of walked around in silence. There was this emptiness, this absence, this voidness about the place. I remember we got outside and we were just kind of trying to make sense of it, all, debrief about what we had just seen. And no one really had any, any good way to describe it. And I remember my mom, she, she finally mustered up. She said, it was just darkness. She used the word darkness. And, and that made sense. That resonated with us. There, it was true. There was this emptiness, this voidness, this absence about the place where God had moved and his light had shined for the community. I just felt like darkness. This theme of darkness continues. There's a book called the book of Job. And in the book of Job, there's this man who's lost everything. His means of provision, his family, his community, his health. It even talks, literally it talks about how he used to gather, so have social gatherings and birthday parties. Literally, it says that. So he's, I mean, isn't that fascinating that they even describe the seemingly minute details of his life and that he has lost it all. There isn't one simple pleasure that has been spared. And so in his own emptiness and in his own absence, he curses the day he was born. And look how he describes it in, in chapter 10. He says this, If only I had never come into being or had been carried straight from the womb to the grave. Day's almost over. Turn away from me so that I can have a moment's joy before I go to the place of no return, the land of gloom and utter darkness. He longs for the ultimate darkness, the ultimate emptiness, the ultimate absence. And he describes it as a land of gloom and utter darkness. Now, we've heard those words before, just a second ago. Because Isaiah takes those words and he uses them to describe what the land is going to be like once exile has happened, once this conquest, once this conquering has happened. He uses these very same words. Remember in Isaiah 8, chapter 22, he says, They will look toward the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom, and they will be thrust into utter darkness. So as Isaiah continues, he, he is using these same things to say there's just this emptiness about the place. And light is gone. And then as Isaiah continues, as he moves into chapter 9, he uses one more word picture. He gives us one more kind of physical, tangible picture to reflect on what this is going to be like. Right in the fir first verse, he says this, In the former time he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Natali. In the former time, he's brought into contempt into these two towns. Now, these are two of the 12 tribes of Israel. And if you look at the map here, this is sort of the, this is sort of the, the, the map. This is when they came into the promised land, when Israel came into the promised land, they all drew lots and, and kind of got all their territories. And so here's, here's kind of where all the 12 tribes kind of landed. And if you'll see here right here is where the two tribes mentioned are. This is where Zebulun and Naphtali are. And if you'll notice, they're, they're some of the more northern, uh, some of the more northern tribes up there. 
sort of right on the border. And there is a major trade route that runs right down the middle. If you want to get through this area, you go through those two tribes first. And so the idea here is this. The idea is that when the conquest happened, Isaiah's warning Ahaz, he says, listen, things are not going to go well. And literally months later, not years later, months later, the foreign oppressor of Assyria comes and marches in to Israel and begins that exile, begins that conquest. And they take the major route. And so the very first two tribes they hit are Nephtali and Zebulun. They're the first ones. In fact, in Kings, it talks about this. In 2 Kings 15, it says, In the days of Pekah, king of Israel, the king of Assyria came and captured all the land of Naphtali, and he carried the people captive to Assyria. This is the very first picture we get of what Isaiah has been warning Ahaz about for a while. It's almost like they got the brunt of it. They, they got the first opening uh, uh, punch to the gods. They are the first ones that experience the sting of conquest, the first ones that taste the bitterness of exiles, to the point where like, there's almost this sense of contempt for these two. Like, they represented something to the rest of Israel, sort of that very first wave of oppression and exile is, is these, two, these two tribes. And months later, like I said, they, they're carried away to exile. It's a land of darkness and oppression. And when it happens, so Isaiah says it's a land of darkness, it's a land of oppression, and when it happens, Zebulun and Naphtali will be the first to go. As sort of a representation of what's to come for everybody else. Now it's a little heavy in the room, right? There's a little heaviness to what's going on. But the thing is, is that Isaiah chapter 9 is not meant to be a chapter of gloom and darkness. It's a chapter of hope. It's a chapter of joy, calling people to look ahead and to remember what the Lord was come just like in Genesis. Now again, in Isaiah 9 chapter 1, he says, people who walked in darkness, who used to walk in darkness, they've seen a great light. He's trying to give hope to Israel. The people who have walked in this darkness, they've seen a great light. Those who dwell in the land of deep darkness, a, on them a light has shone. It's just like Genesis, a land that was covered in, in darkness and a great light has come. It, also, it has that echoes of, of creation where you'd read that and you go, that's right, God, God did that before. There was this darkness and this chaos and, then, and God came and he brought light to it. Well, whatever God's going to do, it's this new thing, this new creation that he's doing in our land. He's bringing light back from the darkness. This light cuts through the emptiness and absence to bring meaning and joy. And Isaiah goes on in, in, ver in verse 4. He says, the yoke, he's talking now about the oppression, about Assyria, the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor. You have broken as in the day of Med Midian's defeat. Now, Midian was an enemy of Israel back in the book of Judges with the judge Gideon. And Gideon had this army, this, this uh, army against him, the Midianites, and he needed help. And the first one to come, the one who played a major role in the defeat, was Zebulun. He, they came and they helped him, helped him defeat the Midianites. 
And then Naphtali came as well. And actually, uh, 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 Jewish history kind of tells us that their banner, sort of their slogan, their, their tribal code, was Jehovah returns to the multitude of Israel. This was sort of their, their, uh, their slogan. Jehovah is going to return. And so Isaiah takes this and he says, listen, there's this great light that's going to be shown. And when it does, it's going to be these two, Zebulun and Naphtali. They're the, going to be the ones that are going to be the catalyst for this change. They're going to be the ones that are going to lead the charge and bring this new light to the darkness of our land. He says, whatever is going to happen, however this light is going to show, however this oppression is going to be broken, it's going to start with those two. They were the first to taste the bitterness of the conquest, oppression, and and exile, but now in some way, somehow, like in the days of Midian, they are going to be the ones to be the catalyst for Jehovah to return and to bring light to the darkness. Now, there's only one other problem with that. Now, at that point, you should be like, that's going to be awesome, that's going to be amazing. But there's actually one problem with this. And if you've caught it already, maybe you haven't. He says, the people have seen a great light, a light has shown, you have broken the yoke, the staff, and the rod. The problem is the timing of it. You see, Isaiah is writing as if these things have already happened. But Isaiah's telling these things to Ahaz. The conquest, the exile, hasn't even started yet. So, so wait a minute. How, how can you say in the present tense what has already happened, even, uh, the, 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 the resurrection and the, and the restoration that you're going to give to your people when the conquest hasn't even started yet? They haven't even seen the bad yet before they get to the good. How, how could Isaiah be talking as if it's already happened? Well, what he's doing is he's, he's doing a little uh, a prophetic motif here. He's doing something what's called the prophetic perfect. And the prophetic perfect says this. It says that we can be so sure of God's word. We can be so sure that what he says is true that we can say it as if it's already happened because we know it's going to. That's the prophetic perfect. Yeah, uh, Isaiah uses it uh, several times. The other prophets use it as well. It's like when someone asks you to do something and you say, consider it done. Consider it done. Now, you haven't done it yet, but you are so sure that you can do it that you tell the person who's asking, don't even think about it. You don't even have to worry. Man, consider it done. That's the prophetic perfect. Isaiah can say even before the exile happens that the light has shown and the oppression has been broken because he is so sure that the Lord is going to do it, that he's going to speak of it, it is already done. That's the prophetic perfect. It is finished. Out of darkness, we have seen a great light. Out of oppression, the rod has been broken Zebulun and Naphtali will get it all started. They will be the start of it all. And what is this start? What is this, what is the thing that's going to get it all going? It's a child. A child. Because 700 years later, a child grows up in Nazareth, which is in the tribe of Zebulun. And then later, this child starts his ministry. He moves to Copernicum, which is in the tribe of Naphtali. 
And later this child stands up in the middle of the sanctuary and declares, I am the light of the world. And whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of light. You won't walk in darkness anymore because I'm here. Matthew, a follower of this child, he begins to notice these things. He begins to recognize and put the pieces together. He's a follower of Jesus, and eventually he realizes this is exactly what Isaiah said was going to happen. I can picture him frantically grabbing a pen to try to get it on paper. Grabbing it. Give me a pen. Where's, where's the paper? And writing down, leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said to the prophet Isaiah, land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the people living in darkness have seen a great light on those living in the land of the shadow of death. A light has dawned. A light has dawned. I can see, I can feel the excitement as he's like putting the whole thing together. This is the child we've been waiting for. From the land of Zebulun and Naphtali, he has come, the great light of the world. I gotta get this down. So let's reflect on that a little. And I'll invite the band to come up as we close. Let's reflect on this idea, because here's the thing. This year has been pretty dark, hasn't it? It's been pretty dark here. It's felt empty. It, it's felt absent. It doesn't feel like there's substance. We, we've been floating for a while. And our enemy is at our doorstep. Ready to come in through the trade routes of our lives. And take us over. Perhaps you've been living in fear. And whether you know it or not, that fear has has a hold on you, and you're not living in freedom. You've, in, you've been living under this oppression of fear, and you need someone to break that rod. Or perhaps you're angry. You're the opposite. You're angry, and, and you're tempted to lash out and act passive-aggressively, if not just aggressively, towards those you disagree with. Or perhaps you're a parent teaching your kids and it's a redefining relationship this year. And maybe you've even noticed things that you haven't noticed before. Ways that they're struggling and it just it brings fear and anxiety as you see and watch them in a new role. Maybe it's the election and you, you're head circles and you have no idea what to do or what to think anymore. Friends, I feel like I've preached this same sermon for the last eight months, but I will preach it again. Because the gospel applies in every circumstance. That in your emptiness and absence and gloom and darkness, in the loss of income and health and community and family, and even the simple pleasures like a birthday party, that a child has come. from the land of Zebulun and Naphtali and has declared in your darkness I have come to bring light and then went to a cross 
and die to bring that light and then raise new so that if you follow him in that resurrected cross, you will be raised new with him in that resurrection light. The child has come. He's from the land that they said he'd buy from. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government, his government and peace, there will be no end. And on his throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time and forever. And if Isaiah can say this with such confidence that he can proclaim it as if it's already happened, how much more can we proclaim it on this side of history that it is finished? He's here. And how much more now than ever before. And that childhood church turned nightclub of mine I looked it up this week and a church bought it back eventually. Led by a pastor named Pastor Jeff. Pastor Jeff is proclaiming the gospel of light in that sanctuary again. Because that's what God does. He sends his child into the world to bring light so that darkness never need exist again. And what God can do with brick and mortar, God can do with flesh and blood in your life. Because the child is here. Let's pray. God, we are thankful that you have come just as you said you would. In our darkness, in our brokenness, in our emptiness. That you bring light into our life. And you solidified it on the cross and on your resurrection that those who are walking in darkness have seen now the new light. So Lord, be with us as a community as we embrace you, our child who has come. And in that emptiness and pain and darkness that we are tempted to feel, may we continue day in and day out proclaim that you are ours.